<clears throat> Last Friday, Claire and I had the pleasure of attending a special assembly at Esther's school, Archbishop Cranmer Academy, just over the road here in Aslockton. We had been invited there by Mrs Stevens, the head teacher, along with plenty of other parents, um, because Esther was one of a number of children who'd recently been nominated by one of their schoolmates or a member of staff to go into Mrs Stevens' gold book. Yes, wow, quite so. Um, if you'll forgive me a slightly um, self-indulgent, proud parent moment, um, Esther's teacher had put her forward for inclusion because of her kindness to her classmates throughout the year, um, which um, Claire and I uh, rather welled up uh, in, the, uh, in the moment about, uh, as her teacher told us about some of that. Um, I should say as well that this assembly happens on a very regular basis and that lots of Esther's friends have also been nominated in similar ways over the course of this year. Um, Esther, in fact, during this assembly had, had nominated five of her own friends um, because they all apparently came to her aid when she fell over uh, on, on a uh, recent school trip out uh, and grazed her knee. So I can fully see in the years to come that this five will, or this six will, will just continue to nominate each other on a rotating basis. So uh, they're, they're always up there in some shape or form. They're smart, these children, aren't they? Anyway... Um, Mrs. Stevens has uh, this rather wonderful um, thick, uh, it's full of um, lots of, lots of different uh, sort of testimonies uh, that children and, and staff have written over the years. This thick gold covered book uh, that's kept on a shelf in her head teacher's study and it celebrates all of the great things that the children in her care have done over many years um, as they've lived out the school's Christian values of trust Courage, kindness, respect, responsibility, and thankfulness. Getting in the good in the good book in the gold book. Getting in the gold book is something that uh, all of the school's children really treasure, and that's rightly celebrated by the whole of that community. But I'm afraid, however, as we continue this morning with our sermon series on Philippians, that I have some less good news for all of us. God doesn't have a gold book. Or at least he certainly doesn't have one in which it's possible to have our name written as a result of doing the right thing if you like, whether that's showing kindness or courage or whatever virtue we may think of. So if as followers of Jesus Christ, we're all trying to do our very best to show these and other Christian values, um, the school's Christian values in our lives, just like all of the pupils there, they're encouraged to do, how does this all work or make sense to us? Well, if the absence of a gold book belonging to God was this morning's bad news, so to speak, I'm very, very pleased to give you today's good news. But today's passage from St Paul's letter to the early Christians in Philippi not only knocks down our false assumptions, but also 
gives us the hope that rests in true assurance, the joy that's the title of our sermon today, Joy in Righteousness. It's important, um, particularly given the the first um, part of this reading, uh, to do a quick bit of contextualising, if that's okay. Um, Both in terms of um, the Philippians sermon series as a whole, as I said, this is week four of six, and also uh, in terms of the backstory to Paul's letter to to the Philippian Christians, a a bit about their culture um, in which they lived and they worshipped, and also Paul himself and of his personal journey of faith. It's only really with that that we can make good sense of his words. So taking the sermon series first, between Bronwyn and Annie and myself over um, these six weeks, we're exploring the theme of joy in Philippians. And we've looked so far at how Paul's letter expresses joy in the gospel, joy in Jesus, joy in fellowship, today joy in righteousness and I've been particularly struck throughout this time um, by the acronym that Bron shared with us to help understand joy in a truly Christian sense that if we experience the peace and the contentment of joy in our lives it's as a consequence of the order in which we live placing J for Jesus first O, others, second, and Y, yourself, last. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. And we turn today, as I've said, to a fourth theme that Paul explores uh, in this passage in particular, joy in righteousness. If we're honest, the start of the reading is really quite tricky and it needs a bit of explanation for us to make sense of what Paul's talking about. And it's clear to start with that um, uh, Paul um, is addressing the Philippian Christians uh, in a context in which they've been receiving advice, not just from him, but from some other Christians about how they should go about following Jesus in their lives and uh, some of the spiritual practices that they should be following. Um, here isn't the only place where Paul writes uh, to, uh, to, some, uh, to, to some groups of Christians in one of his letters uh, with a warning about how others are living out their faith in ways that are contrary to how he has laid out the gospel before them, what um, he and we would consider to be um, the truth of the gospel, uh, particularly relating to Jesus. And in this case, um, it appears that there must be some Jewish Christians, because um, many, very many of the earliest Christians were, like Paul himself, born Jewish. Um, And these Jewish Christians, it seems, have been trying to persuade the new Philippian believers, so Philippi was a, a city in, uh, in northern Greece, in Macedonia, so, um, so uh, probably not many Jews there, far more um, Greeks or, or, or maybe from different parts uh, of the Roman Empire, um, a whole variety of different cultures. Um, these Jewish Christians have been trying to persuade the new Philippian believers um, that to be proper Christians, as it were, they needed to follow a whole series of Jewish customs and practices such as circumcision. 
but Paul makes very clear to his Philippian audience and he uses some really quite strong language here. He talks about them as dogs and mutilators and he really gets worked up about it. He says, no, that is not what you do. You shouldn't be putting, as St Paul says, your confidence in the flesh. In fact, he goes on to, to say that if anyone should be placing their confidence in the flesh as a follower of Jesus, it should be him, given the way that he had lived the first part of his life when he was still referred to by his Jewish name, Saul. Saul had been a member, as he says, of the, of the Pharisees, the Jewish sects that spent their entire lives trying to follow the very letter of every element of the law that uh, God had given to the Jewish people through Moses. By his own admission here, Paul had been so zealous in his pursuit uh, of all of this that he could describe himself as, uh, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Yeah, he had been a, a, a real Premier League Pharisee. He'd been trying to get himself into what he imagined was God's gold book time and time again by behaving in exactly the way he thought God wanted him to behave, following all of these incredibly different, uh, incredibly um, uh, varied and, and detailed rules. But then everything changed for Saul, including ultimately his name as well to Paul. Um, and we have that change recounted for us in chapter 9 of the Acts of the Apostles. When Paul encounters the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, from D Jerusalem to Damascus, as, as uh, Saul was going to persecute the new Christians in Damascus, what he had been doing already in Jerusalem, and he encounters the risen Jesus on that road. Everything changes for him then, such that as he tells the Philippian Christians in, in verse 7 of our reading this morning, all that he considered to be of worth in his life up to that point, whatever were gains for me is the way that he puts it, he now considers to be absolutely nothing. Our Bible um, translation uh, rather delicately calls it loss and garbage. If you go to the original Greek, it's really rather fruitier language than that. Um, quite famously, uh, sort of just about the only place where what might be considered a swear word would be used in the Bible. Paul is so emphatic, he just chucks all of that to one side. He has come to the realisation that everything that he had striven for, everything that he had valued, every way in which he thought he was getting close to God, were meaningless. There are two parts to Paul's realisation, the first of which can be a bit uncomfortable for us, but the second of which I hope can be the source of joy to us, the joy at the heart of our journey through Philippians. Firstly, Paul realised that no matter how good he was trying and perhaps even managing in his own terms, how good he was trying to be, how much of the Jewish law he was obeying to the absolute letter, 
How many times, if you like, he was appearing in Mrs. Stevens' gold book. He was, like every single one of us, falling far, far short of how we are called to live our lives, of the example that we see in the gospel accounts of Jesus himself. We can never hope to attain righteousness, being right with God, righteousness through our own actions. If that's our hope, we'll always fail, we'll always mess up, we'll always hurt others, we'll always hurt God, we may very often hurt ourselves as well, because we are human. And to be human is inherently to fall short of how God has created each one of us to be. At least this side of eternity. But secondly, as Paul assures his Philippian audience, although he and they and we cannot come right with God through our own actions... We are absolutely able to come into right relationship with God once again through faith in Christ. As Paul writes, through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Because Jesus Christ, through his perfect life as God become man, through his death on the cross to conquer sin and death, and his resurrection to new life that first Easter day, Jesus has already done for us everything that can ever be done, everything that is necessary for us and for those Philippian Christians to gain joy in righteousness, joy from being right in right relationship with our heavenly Father, our loving God. This, um, in the words of the famous hymn, is amazing grace. The extraordinary gift from God that can never be achieved, but only ever received. If we place our trust in Jesus Christ and live our lives in him and through him, we can attain this place of rightness with God once again. We can know that joy in righteousness. Which perhaps leads us back full circle to wonder why, if we can't, through our own good efforts, our own best efforts maybe, attain righteousness with God, why do we still seek to be good or do good for the Lord? Why do Esther and her classmates and the whole school, why do they wish so much to live out those Christian values of the school and place so much store by it when they do so? Why we, hopefully, seek to do the same in our homes and in our workplaces and in every place in which we live out our daily lives. In chapter 6 of his letter to the Roman Christians, Paul suggests rhetorically in a really rather warped logic that because Christ has already done everything that's necessary for us to be in right relationship with God and therefore we've got eternal salvation already, we can just go about sinning 
as much as we like, thank you very much, because it has no implication for us as long as we retain our faith in Jesus Christ and therefore our righteousness. But Paul answers the question he puts to himself in this way. He says, by no means. And in a very similar way to the account that he gives in the final verses of our passage this morning, um, he uh, talks about uh, living life as a follower of Jesus. In Romans, Paul says that in a response of gratitude to God for all that he's done for us in Jesus, it's as if we've even become like slaves to that righteousness, that every aspect of our existence is guided by a good and a right desire to do our very best for our master in thanks for what he has done for us on the cross. And here in Philippians, we see very much the same. Unlike Paul's previous existence as a Pharisee in which he strived to obey God and his will, but with all the wrong motivation and attitude of heart, he was trying to do it for himself. Now he, in his words, presses on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. He seeks to do great things and he wants to be ever more holy, not for himself, but for the sake of Jesus who died for him. Died that Paul and the Philippian Christians and each one of us might have life to the full in this world and in the next. So as we continue to explore this great letter of joy, I pray this morning, let's pray together, shall we? I pray that God's Holy Spirit will be at work in our hearts and our lives. I pray that you will know the depth of God's love for you as we each receive his extraordinary grace. I pray that rooted in a desire to see the good things of his kingdom come in our communities, in our world, that each one of us will continue to press on towards the prize that Christ has for each and every one of us who believe in him. In his joyful name, we pray this. Amen.